You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It's great to be back with you. We are talking about pro-life issues today, having courage to speak up when others won't, or maybe even when it's uncomfortable. We'll be talking about being faithful even to the pro-life mission and why that's so important. We'll be looking at Planned Parenthood's latest fiscal report and how they've actually performed more abortions this year than in the past and have actually received more funding from the government in the United States than in past years as well. We'll be actually diving into why there's some good news as well in terms of their donors and what we're seeing in terms of major state laws having really changed the past decade and what we can look forward to in the future. But most importantly, we're really focusing on how can you better be a defender of not just the unborn life, but of life in general. So that woman, how can we have better conversations surrounding pro-life apologetics and really drive forward the mission for life that is so close near and dear to the Catholic Church's teaching and you know some people say well are there other important issues there are other important issues but this show is really going to help you understand why the life issue is so important so I want to start with some of kind of the not so great news and again that is that Planned Parenthood's latest fiscal report shows that there are three percent more abortions that they performed and on the bright side they lost over 400,000 donors. What shows us really kind of a glimpse into the abortion movement right now is that overall the pro-abortion organizations are losing funding right now. They're seeing this decline in people who want to support abortion. And I think a huge part of that is actually due, and I've said this before, due to the 2019 year about how we saw abortion on two extremes with laws being passed on one side, going all the way to the point where people are advocating for infanticide and state constitutions are writing abortion into their state law, making it so that not only is it, you know, the case of Doe versus Bolton and Roe versus Wade that gives that universal access through all nine months of a woman's pregnancy, but now it's in that state constitution in the event that Roe v. Wade is overturned. And what would happen is it would go back to the states and really the existing state laws that are on the books would determine what the pro-life law was state to state if Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so that kind of gives you a landscape of why people People, I think, are starting to pick a side more than they did in the past. And I think that this is important for us because the reality is, you guys, there are a lot of people that are right in the middle. They might be the person who would say, you know, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but they might even be the type of people who don't really have a position on it. And what's shocking is that actually a lot of people who are really of those years where they would have an abortion, don't know what they think. So we're talking about high schoolers and college age students and even young adults 
who maybe they hear a lot of the debate, but they're not diving into it. Maybe the way that you are, maybe the way that you see this issue is so important. If they don't have to deal with it, they're not going to think about it. And I think that's very typical of this moral relativism that we see currently in our culture. Well, if it doesn't relate to me, if it's not really relative to my lifestyle and my experience, I might not really think about it and I might not even take a stance on the issue. And so when we're looking at this since 2010, the awesome news is that we've had over 400 state laws passed, laws that have directly impacted and really influenced the fact that abortions have not been able to be performed in certain states. And we've even seen some of these laws run themselves very high up into the higher levels of the courts and even up to the Supreme Court. And if you look at the Guttenmacher Institute, they actually talk about, well, why are we seeing that abortion numbers overall are actually going down because you guys that's the good news the abortion numbers are showing that they are dropping now i want to dive into that a little bit more because i think there's a little bit of a problem with that in our culture and it relates to contraception so although there's a lot of great news here there's a lot of work to be done and it actually is important for us to recognize because it needs to change how we're talking about not just abortion but sexuality in identity as women and as men, because this directly relates to this gender ideology crisis and how we're viewing sexuality. So I was saying that Guttenmacher Institute, which is kind of the right hand uh, researching umbrella of not just the abortion movement, but of Planned Parenthood, they've actually shown that the decline in abortion numbers, they directly relate to laws that have been passed regarding health and safety regulations being put on the abortion industry. You guys, sometimes the pro-life laws that we've been passing have actually been just such basic laws that they're doing things such as this. There needs to be admitting privileges for an ambulance at a hospital in a 30-mile radius so that if something goes wrong, we have a direct relationship to quickly give that woman the medical care she needs if the abortion goes wrong. Things like bringing a gurney down the hallways. You guys, I bring up these simple things, and if you've listened to Trending, you've heard me bring up these really simple health and safety regulations that unfortunately the pro-abortion movement has not been upheld upholding because no one's been regulating them because it's been the sacredness of abortion that we don't want to touch. If you're joining me now, you're listening to Trending with Timory. We're looking at the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and really the importance of how we need to be faithful to the fight over abortion. The fact that we've seen nearly 500 state laws passed, abortion numbers go down, is a really good thing to see. In fact, if we were to look at the abortion statistics, we saw back in the 1980s was really the peak of abortion numbers. Now, statistics show that abortions have fallen by about 53%. I'm looking at some of the information from Michael New at the Lozier Institute. They do excellent research on issues just like this. And he's talking about how there have been, you know, I love Michael New because I remember this summer I was with him at Notre Dame and he kept talking about all the gains for life that we've been making. And he was just championing the impactfulness of these state laws driving down the numbers of abortions. But again, we're going to come to the catch here that 
we have to really pay attention to to change how we can further save lives, but also influence an area of abortion that hasn't really been uh, addressed as much as it needs to be. And sometimes it's because we're uncomfortable talking about it. And that's contraception. So don't go away. We'll be talking about that a little later. We also saw that abortion rates have actually dropped just in the last 10 years. I'm looking at statistics from 2011 versus 2017. We've seen that those numbers that are reported for abortions, and I know a lot of people are going to say this, and I'm going to say it, states like California don't report their abortion numbers. Many states don't even report the RU46 chemical abortions. That's a mifepristone. Uh, and those are very, very common, not to mention more people are actually going for do-it-yourself abortions. This has always been something that's been a part of the culture. So although we're seeing the numbers being driven down, there are a lot of areas where we're not seeing reports of true statistics. So we're only going based on what we see as true numbers that have been identified here. So 2011 to 2017 saw 20% drop in abortion. Well, that's a good thing because again, it's showing that public opinion over surgical abortion is changing. But what it's not showing is that a lot of people are still very okay, A, with early abortion. They think if you can just have an abortion with a couple of pills, it makes it less severe because they don't see the further development in the pregnancy of the baby, that it's not as big of a deal. And let's be honest, Sometimes it's hard when we think about how tiny that baby is and really that stage of development that the child is in. It's sometimes hard for certain people to say we should be advocating for these lives just as much as we should be advocating for the babies that are, let's say, eight months into gestational development, right? That's where contraception, Plan B, RU46, and these home abortions come into the conversation. These are the abortions that are either unreported or underreported in the United States. For example, Florida, they don't have to report RU46 abortions. California is not reporting their abortion numbers adequately. And these are all great topics that point back to, again, early abortion and chemical abortion. So that's why our pro-life apologetics really do need to be robust. And that's why it's so important that we're shifting our conversation because when we're talking about early abortion, we're talking about contraception, that's directly impacting the lifestyle that we are living in today. The college lifestyle, the high school lifestyle, the young adult lifestyle, not just for women, but also for men, the lifestyle that men are used to living in relation to women. So these are where the conversations really need to be. And so my challenge to you, sometimes we start to tune out of the pro-life debate because we've been around it for so long. Abortion has been this conversation that ad nauseum we've been going through over and over again. We know the pro-life arguments, maybe. And I'd always argue, I think we don't know them as well as we can and should. And I think that there are new arguments that we can use far better than the ones we're currently using. And also, we need to implement a little more faith into our debate. And when I say faith, I specifically mean using the gifts and graces God has given us through the Holy Spirit to speak to the specific arguments and more so to the specific people who we have the opportunity to dialogue with 
we see statistics are saying that not only are there fewer babies and actually fewer pregnancies in the United States, that more teenagers are virgins. Again, awesome news, but we have to come back to the conversation. Who is getting pregnant and who are we not talking about? So despite all of this good news in terms of abortion numbers being driven down, we need greater fidelity to the cause. And we'll be right back talking about further pro-life apologetics. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. The question is, what do we do next with regard to the abortion debate? We're in an election year, 2020. We are going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly coming out this year with regard to abortion. I mean, just look at how 2019 went. I mean, it was all about abortion. Statistics and researchers are saying that the eighth most important thing to kind of watch out for and that's going to be discussed in the 2020 elections is abortion. So my question to you is not only what side are you going to fall on, but how are you going to do a better job of not being afraid to talk about abortion? We're going to be diving into things such as post-abortion syndrome and the healing and pain after. In fact, you may have heard, and we'll be addressing this later, CNN came out with this big study that came out of the University of California, San Francisco, saying that women actually feel relief after having had their abortions. Is this true? Is this the state of what we're looking at in terms of public opinion of abortion, but also of those who have experienced it? There's actually a lot more to the story. It's not true, but I need you to understand why, and we'll break that down in just a bit, so don't go away. So again, I come back to this question. What do we do next? You need to have the courage to speak up when others won't, when it's uncomfortable. You need to have the courage to answer the difficult questions. I remember years ago, I was in college and I always knew, you know, basic arguments surrounding, you know, why things such as contraception and even same sex marriage weren't okay. And what's interesting is that the arguments for both of those topics really are inherently closely connected because it's all about how we view sexual intimacy and what's it's what it's for. And we'll be talking about that later on this week on Trending with my dear friend, Michael Gasparo, who will be joining me. He's a marriage and family therapist as well. Awesome perspective, faithful Catholic. So be sure to catch that episode. You can find it at radiotrending.com. Again, if there's ever an episode you're not able to finish, or maybe you want to know more of what we're discussing on Trending, because every day is different. Please head over to radiotrending.com. You can subscribe there on your favorite podcasting app and take us with you on the go. So the question is, what am I going to do to better educate myself to answer these questions? Well, I think that this is where I want to challenge you. You need to be equipped in two ways. The first way is you do need education. And that's why here on Trending, we're always here as a resource to help answer those tough questions. That's why we're doing this episode. We're going to touch on certain questions, for example, such as, I didn't consent to motherhood. Why should I have to have a baby? She didn't consent. It's all about consent with regard to sexuality anymore. And people say, well, I may have consented to sex, but I didn't consent to motherhood. Again, it may seem like a silly question at times, but it's not because that's how people think. That's where the culture is. And I'll tell you a story about that, of how I saw this in the crisis pregnancy centers day in and day out. 
So the second element of equipping ourselves for the battle is spiritually. You know, I grew up in the pro-life movement and I saw people who were such strong advocates, so passionate, burn out, get tired, feel like it all relied on them and the whole pressure of the abortion debate and the ability to save lives simply weighed on their own shoulders. And the reality is, is that we're not that important. Someone else can make these arguments. Someone else can do trending. Someone else can tell you how to talk about gender issues. I don't have to do it, but we're called to. And God is here to equip us through the graces of the sacraments and through the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why, again, how can you be equipped? Listen to trending, listen to other programs, listen and read various pro-life information. I mean, read books, you guys. Are you reading books about education on abortion? I could recommend a couple. I'll probably post them this week. Great ideas, you know, things like the physical complications of abortion, medical complications, all great resources. But in that prayer, we have to stay faithful to the sacraments in order to stay faithful to this mission. Otherwise, it's just going to be chatter in the background. At a certain point, if you leave the radio on for too long, if you leave even the pro-life debate on for too long, you might tune out if you are not being filled with the grace of God to defend truly the souls who are at risk of being destroyed through abortion. I'm not just talking about the babies. I'm talking about the moms and those who are involved in the abortion decision. Their lives are being destroyed. They are spiritually dead out there because of this issue. So I want to talk about the cultural perspective on abortion because the question is, what do we do next? We have to understand that abortion and contraception are so closely tied together that we need to be ready to talk about both issues. Now, it's interesting because I remember that in a lot of the pro-life apologetics, people used to say, just keep the focus on abortion. Don't jump into the contraceptive issue because it's a distraction. People say, you know, the way to solve abortion is to decrease the contraceptive use. And that's actually a valid, you know, perspective given that they maybe don't realize that contraception is also an abortifacient and can both prevent sperm and egg from ever meeting. But you guys, contraception, for example, Ella, Norplant, we can talk about the pill. I could name a bunch of them to you right now. They also work as abortifacients that they will kill a baby, a new life that has been developed via chemical imbalance because you need, you know, a good balance of hormones in the woman's body functioning so it doesn't cause a miscarriage or in this case, an abortion that's induced by the contraception. Or it prevents implantation from ever taking place or it causes the mucuses inside of the body to prevent that baby from traveling all the way down the fallopian tube to be implanted the uterus. This is what's happening when contraception is being taken. And so contraception has reduced the number of surgical abortions. Contraception has reduced the big money dollars that are related to abortion. I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of dollars, $500 for an abortion, $800. It depends on how late into the pregnancy, how late into that gestational development that baby is. And so it's much easier for people to just use contraception to quote unquote, just use RU46 so that they don't have to deal with the exorbitant cost of a surgical abortion, which in addition is a much more psychologically um, traumatizing to think about for many people than taking, let's say, the pill. 
because a lot of them don't know, or even if they do, they say, oh, well, it's so early in the pregnancy, you know, the baby's not that developed yet. Or for example, same thing with plan B. We saw in the crisis pregnancy centers that there was a huge decline in the number of women coming in in crisis pregnancy, because guess what we'd hear from those girls? They're popping plan B almost every time after they have sex, if they're concerned about conceiving a baby. So not only are they often on at least one type of hormonal birth control, they're using plan B. And you guys, this alone is, you know, a lifestyle issue that is impacting so many women. Having your hormones in such severe fluctuation like that day in and day out, I mean, Already, women are a different chemical makeup each day in terms of their hormones. Add hormones that are putting your body into a, a state of pseudo-pregnancy. Add hormones that are so strong that they're supposed to snuff off the life of the child to kill that baby. That's what we're talking about. That impacts the woman's health. So when we talk about abortion, I'm sorry, but we don't have the luxury at this point in history to not talk about contraception and to not talk about it well. That's why I just put a video up on YouTube of a talk I gave, I think like two years ago on contraception. I'm trying to post more because this is a topic that you guys, we have the upper ground on. We can start by talking about the physical risks, the emotional risks, the psychological risks, and then get into the interpersonal risks in terms of relationships and how women are actually being put in harm's way in these circumstances. You know, it's interesting because a lot of girls have this mindset that consenting to sex isn't consenting to motherhood. Therefore, I should be able to have an abortion. Therefore, I should have universal access to abortion through all nine months of a pregnancy because I did not consent to having a child. This is true. This is truly how people are thinking. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. You can listen to more at radiotrending.com, or you can also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Maybe it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, you name it. We are there. Just You can even pull us up directly through the app by finding us at Trending with Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. So when I was in the crisis pregnancy centers, I remember the counselors would share this all the time. They would be sitting across from that girl and they'd be waiting for the results of her pregnancy test. And the counselor would talk to the girl, well, if you're not pregnant, let's kind of role play. You know, what would life look like if you weren't pregnant? What would you do? What changes would you make in your life to maybe not be here, but also to be where you want to be in life? Because a lot of the time, these girls who come into the crisis pregnancy center, they're hungry for guidance, for mentorship. They're hungry for authentically seeing where relationships should be going. And this was what the girls would often have a response of. Well, I can't be pregnant. It's not possible that I'm pregnant. And it wasn't just that they were in denial. It was the fact that they logically believed that it was impossible that they were pregnant because they didn't consent to a pregnancy. They were taking contraception. Maybe they even took plan B. It's not possible that they are pregnant because they were using quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, protected sex. So in the mind of the modern culture, sex does not mean babies. And surprisingly, 
for many people, and it's interesting to see the new um, Planned Parenthood sex education, they're talking a lot about STDs, more than I've seen them talk about in the past. And I think that's because they're seeing, okay, we've eliminated babies in many cases, and we have the fail-safe of abortion, but people are actually getting hurt through sex. So we're trying to get people to have more consent. So let's just make sure that you use a condom. And that's kind of all of what Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry's sex ed program has really focused on. But in reality, what you and I need to do is we need to appeal to the issues of the heart, to the issues of future dreams, the issue of health, security. Who am I? What do I want in life? You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hey, hey, it's great to be back with you. We're looking at the battle over abortion. How do we need to change the conversation? I was proposing before that what comes next is because we're seeing a decrease and pregnancies carry to term since we're seeing a decrease in surgical abortions and later term abortions. Well, that's all great news. The abortion numbers are being driven down despite Planned Parenthood having performed more abortions this year than in past years. But the reality is, is that a lot of people are turning to contraception, chemical abortion, Plan B, which are either underreported or not reported at all in many places in the United States. And so we need to appeal, and I said this a little earlier, to the dreams of young people. What do they want? How can they get there? But why do they not need contraception? Let me rephrase that. Why is contraception not necessary to get you to where you need to be? And I'll say this, when I speak, especially to young people, both men and women who are high school, college age, I will say, you know what? I want you guys to hear what I'm saying. And it has nothing to do with me, but it has to do with the future of how we look at ourselves and how we make decisions today. And I'll say this, I have an undergraduate degree. I have a graduate degree. I am working in the fields of my choosing and the field that I'm working in matches up with what I studied in school. Not a lot of people can always say that all of those things match up. Not a lot of people can say, you know, I hit exactly what I wanted to do after school and so forth. And here's the thing. A lot of people think that in order to do all of those things, to get the degrees, to get the jobs, that you have to use birth control in order to get there. That you can't have relationships get in your way to get to where you want to be, to achieve your dreams. And I'm not saying, and we have to remember this because sometimes we have the false reality that, well, I can do anything. I'm sorry, you can't do anything. But you can make plans to do things that are achievable to do things that are difficult. And so we need to help people see that we can move forward in this culture, that we can have degrees, have an education, have great jobs, influence the culture and the jobs that we work in. But it doesn't mean we need birth control to kill off our children to do that. And that's what we're saying from a Catholic perspective. But we need to be speaking to the perspective of the health of women first. We need to help them see that this is their life. It is. And it's their choice, but it's also the health of their body, their emotional health, their psychological health, and the health of their future relationships down the road. That's why I always like to start by talking about things such as 
well, what about the fact that the contraceptive pills, you guys, almost all forms of contraception out there are versions of progesterone and estrogen in their synthetic forms. And they are levels of progesterone and estrogen that are causing you guys serious cancer issues in people. We've seen, and I could, and I show this when I give presentations, and maybe you're interested in learning more about how to talk better about contraception. I would love to come and do a workshop series with you wherever you're at to help you really feel equipped and comfortable to talk about this from a loving perspective. You guys, who doesn't care about their health? Who doesn't want to learn more? And once we get further into the health issue, then we can get into the emotional, psychological, and the relational issues as well. And I throw study after study at people so that they can see it's not what Timory's saying. It's not what the Catholic Church is saying. Estrogen and progesterone in the pills are actually group one carcinogens. They're causing cancer. We know today 20-year-olds who have breast cancer as a cause of contraceptive use. At that point, many women have already been using contraception for seven years, years of damage being done to their bodies. And if they're even slightly susceptible to cancer, that risk of the cancer is very, very, very high when they start taking group one carcinogens. Yet they're not being tested and checked. They're not being advised. This isn't pro-woman. We also aren't talking about the fact it's causing things such as blood clotting. It's causing strokes. It's causing hypertension. It puts the body in a state of pseudo-pregnancy. The body's being tricked into thinking it's pregnant with some of these hormonal contraceptives. Ergo, we're seeing increase in anxiety, moodiness, and so forth. These are all really weighing on the health of women. We're in a culture where anxiety and depression is very severe, and anxiety is caused by hormonal contraception. Think about this for a second. I always find this so fascinating. When I'll be talking to, let's see, people of the boomer age range, and I teach Pilates, if you don't know. I teach it on the side. It's a form of exercise that focuses on the spine. And when I'll be working with my clients one-on-one, we'll talk about contraception. And I'm always amazed by how most boomers who were fed the lie that contraception was necessary to get ahead in life, most people of the boomer generation say, that stuff's crap. It's terrible for you. It destroys your body. It causes so many health problems. But not only that, they're looking back and they're seeing it also caused interpersonal relationship issues. It caused me to be in my 60s and to be at the point where I'm saying, I wish I had more children. I wish I had a lasting relationship. Because when we use hormonal contraception, when we're using these barrier methods, it intrinsically goes against ideas of the full unity of sexual intimacy. It's saying, I'm only willing to give part of myself to you. I'm not willing to make a lifelong commitment to you. It's saying, if a child comes of this sexual interaction, I won't be there to support that child or to support you. These are the things that are being said with our bodies. Some people will talk about how what we're doing with sexual intimacy in today's culture, how we're looking at pornography, how we're using contraception, we are literally lying with our bodies. Instead of speaking a language of community, complementarity, and love, we're lying with our bodies and we're closing people out and we're exposing ourselves to a lifetime of pain. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Again, if you want to share this episode with someone, please don't hesitate to head over to the radio 
to the website radiotrending.com. Share the link. That way other people can dive into these issues. You guys, we're in the midst of a real battle. The spiritual warfare and the abortion issue is real. Abortion isn't just a matter of politics. It's a matter of faith. And here's why. Because we're talking about the soul of a child, a soul of a woman who is pregnant, the soul of the man who is the father of that child. And we're talking about souls who are literally being killed by abortion. They are destroying so much good within themselves, making their decisions in life worse and worse. We see that it's so intense for so many people that they have to go into denial that they will. And I remember Abby Johnson in her book Unplanned talking about that. She's the woman behind the story Unplanned, the movie that came out in 2019. When she left the abortion industry, she wrote that book Unplanned and she talked about how it was like, you know, a secret that she, you know, kind of boxed up and put away. And I think she talks about, you know, it being in this box closed really, really deep. It's almost at the point where certain women won't remember their abortions for a handful of years because they blocked it out. And that's something that's very common. We, you know, block things out. We suppress it. We're in denial. We lie both to ourselves and others about things that we've gone through. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of men and women who are heartbroken over the impact that abortion has had on them. And this is a spiritual battle. That's why when people accuse sometimes a pro-life movement of just being focused on the child, are you one of those people who's just focused on the baby? Because if you are, you're missing the point because we're dealing with multiple people in the instance of abortion, people whose souls are literally bleeding with pain, with disconnect, with loneliness. I mean, think about post-abortion syndrome. These women receive a huge increase in a tendency toward suicide, alcohol, various substance abuses, marijuana. Isn't it ridiculous that, that when I talk to kids now about how they have a huge risk in marijuana use that I have to justify now why marijuana isn't okay? It's a whole nother topic. Again, I, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but that's a whole nother issue that we have to talk about, you guys. You know, we are seeing that these women will experience severe dreams, you know, anniversary reminders, due date reminders, um, the anniversary reminder of when they had the abortion. These are scars that these women are carrying in our culture and that we have to speak into and help people out of. That's right. Whether it's you or maybe someone you know who has had an abortion, please always keep this resource in hand. Maybe put it into your phone as a contact. It's rachelsvineyard.org. Again, that's rachelsvineyard.org. And there are healing resources both for men and for women. So don't be afraid to reach out. They have healing retreats. They have programs that you can enter into because people who have gone through abortion need that healing process. And I have to say how awesome that we are Catholic because it is only in the Catholic Church that we have the healing graces in the expunging of our sins through the sacrament of reconciliation, healed by the blood of the lamb, no matter what you've done, no matter what choice you've made, if you are truly repentant and you offer that to our Lord, he will purify you of that pain. He will heal you. He will forgive you. And that is such a grace that the church has to offer and has actually been a huge grace that we have seen in the midst of this issue of abortion. 
you know, we see in the New Testament, St. Paul talks about in scripture, how when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Grace is abounding in the healing people are experiencing through their conversions to Catholicism. Abby Johnson is just one example of this, of many people that I personally know who've come into the church because they've been healed through the grace of the sacrament from the abortion that they had experienced. And you guys ignore all this false research. There's a study that tried to come out out of UCSF claiming that women really feel relief rather than regret after having that abortion. They did a five-year study. It has nothing on over 50 years of research, both secular and totally non-pro-life that shows the impact and the regret women have after their abortions. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. great to be back with you. We're going to be talking about having humility and compassion when we're talking about abortion, how that's actually a game changer and how we respond and what we do when abortion comes up. So don't go away. We'll be getting into some of the pro-life apologetics and how to answer some difficult questions. First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. I love talking to people about how to discuss abortion. In fact, I just had a family member reach out to me this past week. They had been contacted by a friend and they were being accused, you know, how how dare you, you know, be sharing your pro-life views? They made an argument for abortion based off of scripture that was completely unfounded and false. In fact, the passage that they were using to claim that priests in the Old Testament performed abortions had nothing, you guys, to do with abortion. I could dive into that another time. I won't. But what stood out to me, and I always say this, if someone's trying to argue with you about abortion, if someone maybe isn't even just responding to a comment that you post on social media, but they're directly contacting you, it's often for one of two reasons. Either one, there's a tremendous amount of pain there, that could be post-abortive pain, pain in terms of maybe in some way having been involved in abortion. And it's kind of a way of them reaching out for you to help. And they're kind of seeing, is this going to be a safe sounding board? Is this someone I can speak to? Is it someone I can just be angry at because of my experience? Or on the other end, often they're trying to give you their best arguments because they want you to convince them why abortion isn't okay. And that means that we need to have compassion and humility and de-escalate the situation when often abortion is a issue. You know, there's a reason we talk about it as a hot button issue. There's a reason that it is the eighth most important issue going into the 2020 election as people are staying and predicting here because it has a lot of pain behind it. 
it involves sex lives of people and the issue itself is diabolical and you guys it is the sacrifice of the devil and i mean i can say this because i'm in a catholic context right here if you want to kind of talk about that more what more could the devil could evil want than for us to kill our own children to destroy our souls to bring such sorrow depression anxiety suicide substance abuse this is destroying the souls of individuals which is why i remember when i talked to, to that family member this past week i said hey I said, remember, these are the two most likely reasons why this person's reaching out. And so whatever you say, just have compassion, have love, you know, don't be angry because of their pro-abortion position. They're reaching out in a way, even if you go rounds and rounds for years, nothing changes. You're planting seeds and you're giving your best possible arguments. But more importantly, you're listening to what that person is saying. So for example, I'm going to give a really typical example. People will say, let's give the argument, well, you're a man, you have no say in abortion. Whether you're, okay, so let's say you're a man. Or let's say I used to sidewalk counsel when I was only 13 years old. And people would say, well, you're so young. How old are you? Do you have children? Have you even had sex? How can you talk about that? And a great way, whether you're, you're being accused of being a man or accused of being too young or, you know, living in this honky-dory, sweet, perfect-seeming life that they are not living in, you can acknowledge, yeah, I'm not going through what you're going through. Or maybe you're a guy and you can say, you're right. I'm not a woman. I can't physically have a baby. I agree with you on that point. Just by affirming what they're saying, showing that you heard what they said. But then you can also go into where you disagree with a particular point. I agree with that. But that doesn't mean I can't speak to whether or not I think abortion's okay or whatever the specific context of your debate is. That doesn't mean you can't ask a question. You know, for example, the question is, well, why is it if you want to go down this path? Why is it that it's only the woman that has a say and whether or not that baby's life is ended? Yet if that child does survive, the man is expected to help care for the baby. Why is that? You know, and it comes back to the debate and the conversation that it takes two people to create a life that you are consenting not just to a baby, the possibility of a baby when you have sexual intimacy, you're consenting to the possibility of being tied to this man or this woman for the rest of your life because the sexual intimacy is supposed to be so pure, so great that it can create a third, that the two are no longer, the two become one and the one is so real that it actually produces another. So again, we need to ask questions. We need to go deeper. We need to plant seeds. We need to find a common ground. And again, that simple common ground is you're right. I'm not a man. <laughs> but I can have something to say and here's what I have to say. And you might not even take it. You might ignore it and say, okay, you're right. I'm not a man, but why do you think abortion's okay? So all of a sudden you're saying, okay, I'm not a man. Let's say I have no say. And then you say, why do you think abortion's okay? See, how is their brain justifying the stance on abortion so that you can speak specifically to what's their holdup in particular? That's why, you know, I'll hear from people all the time. You know, you made really great arguments in that video that I saw you in with Jubilee Media, the middle ground show. I hear from people almost every day saying, you know, I saw the video. You made great arguments. I'm still pro-abortion, but I really appreciated what you had to say. I'll write right back, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, you name it. And I'll say, thanks so much. Why do you think abortion's okay? I would love to hear your thoughts. What has, you know, you still, you know, feet firm on the ground in defending abortion? Ask them because the reality is a lot of people do like to share what they're thinking. You just have to make sure you don't interrupt them. You just have to allow them to get their thought out. 
because sometimes, and here's a secret, if you just let them keep talking, they're going to talk themselves out of defending abortion sometimes, especially because sometimes people are verbal processors or sometimes people actually haven't made those arguments fully. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Thanks for listening. I want to talk about this issue yet again, kind of of a consent, because people will make arguments about quality of life for a baby. For example, here are two arguments that someone sent in to me a couple weeks ago. What about babies born with multiple and severe diagnoses, handicaps, and so forth? Should they be born? Or what if I don't want to take care of that child? Or people will say, why bring a baby into the world if it's going to suffer? So there are two debates. There's one on, well, why would I have to care for a child with special needs? And then there's the question of why would a child have to suffer? I think the first one comes back to the issue of consent. You know, I consented to having a baby, but I didn't consent to, you know, these medical diagnoses and issues with the child and the challenges it would bring. That's true. But you guys, since when does life go your way? Since when is life easy and hunky-dory? We're called to testify by our lives and how we live our lives. And I think that sometimes people just need help seeing that not only can they do this, there's an opportunity to grow There's an opportunity to really love in a very beautiful way, but also there's an opportunity to depend on your community. And that's something that's so important, something that we as Catholics often have, but people don't necessarily see that those resources are out there. But then again, the question of, well, what if the baby's born with severe illnesses and so forth? Uh, What if the baby has autism? What if the baby has Down syndrome? Should that baby be born? Well, first of all, We don't know absolutely when a diagnosis in the womb is given a possible diagnosis that that child will have Down syndrome, that that child will have autism or whatever health condition. That baby's in its earliest stages of development. You guys, we see miracles of babies being healed in the womb and in fact, incredible surgeries that are performed inside the womb anymore to heal the child of various things that are going on. But we also have seen that a lot of these medical diagnoses while in utero are wrong. You know, and it's so sad that a lot of women are terrible, terrified of going through with those tests because I think that part of the reason why they're terrified of going through those tests isn't just finding out what their child could have, but in our culture we think, well, if this of life is in our eyes less valuable, less perfect, that it shouldn't exist. And this gets back to the issue of quality of life. Just because someone has a different quality of life, and I'm talking financial means, having a mother and father, having uh, a difference in terms of its own health, does that justify us taking that baby's life? How do you know that baby baby can't be healed? How do you know that that baby might not be, bo- might be born without this possible diagnosis? How do you not know that there's not some good that this child is meant to play? And I think that here's the other option. A lot of people will say, well, that's her only option, whether it's because the baby has some diagnosis, whether she has, you know, financial issues, whether she's not married, whether or not she can't support a baby, whether or not her health is in danger, whether her career and education are in danger. We are seeing that fewer abortions are taking place. And we're also seeing that more women are carrying to term 
they're having their babies. Why? There are so many resources out there to help single moms, to help women through serious issues with medical issues with children. There are so many resources out there. And I'm not just talking government resources. And I think that's commonly the mistake that our interlocutors have is they think that it has to be a government resource. No, there are programs and people willing to step up in our community and in our churches if we're only willing to ask. Or also, if we're only willing to offer, hey, do you need help finding resources for whatever you might be going through, through the challenges you face? This is what the crisis pregnancy centers do and why we need to be sending people to the crisis pregnancy centers, sending people to get ultrasounds into pro-life doctors. There's so much more we can say, but please don't give up and have humility in this battle for the right to lives of women and their children. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 